0: Welcome to Biota Live. I'm Tom Barbele and this is being recorded live on TalkShoe, September 18th, 2009. For more information on the Biota podcast, check out biota.org podcast. And for more information with regards to calling into the show or getting onto the show's chat, which has been on fire in recent episodes and already started in a good way this evening, also, check out B I O T A dot org slash podcast. So, the next episode will be recorded at 8 p.m. Pacific, Friday, October 2nd. We may have Mark Badeau on. The next couple of shows are going to be rather interesting because I want to get on Tom Ray for 20 years of Tierra, and that will probably have to be an extraordinary show, possibly uh, over the weekend following October 2nd. But I also would like to get on Mark Bodeau And similarly, that may be in the weekend following October 2nd too. So there will be a show on October 2nd. I'm not totally sure what it's going to be about, but it may contain Mark Bodeau, It may contain a completely different topic. But if you listen to Biota Live on a regular basis, the way you find out this information is by joining the Biota Conversations mailing list. And you go to the Biota site, biota.org. And join the Biota Conversations mailing list, and it's also a great opportunity if you have particular interests in artificial life development, or you're just starting out, to get in contact with a wide variety of folk who uh, you know have appeared in previous Biota Lives, and get discussing with regards to artificial life. Some news and notes. Well, there was a lot of feedback from uh, last Biota Live. It was quite a heated Biota Live in parts, but I think an interesting uh, couple of topics discussed. I received a lot of feedback uh, from folks that agreed with uh, William R. Buckley. And actually, we have Eric Burton on the call, so I'm going to bring Eric in. Hello, Eric.
1: Oh, hi, Tom.
0: Good to talk to you again. So you were on the first half of last week's show, but you also listened in, I guess, to the second half. Yes, what was. was. What was your general feeling with regards to the kind of discussion associated
1: with prizes and artificial life? I mean, what's your own vision associated with prizes and artificial life. I heard Peter Diamandis say that putting a prize out for a solution to a problem weighs it down in the uh, solution space. It sort of converts it into low-hanging fruit, the good solutions, that is. I think that's an interesting point. I mean, certainly I listened to
0: this show yesterday because I, I received email and I don't think really I put forward my own point particularly well, but my own experience, as I said, from kind of 15 years' worth of these things. And I also want to make the distinction that, you know, what what you get with a research grant is very different right. than a prize.
1: Great.
0: Right. And, you know, a research grant is ultimately something which you write, maybe, a, you know, a synopsis for and then submit, and then you get a bunch of money to actually develop what you wrote about. Whereas a prize is really a kind of concluding thing, and the amount of work and effort that goes into actually developing software for a specific prize isn't really fathomable unless you've had that experience, and I think that was my my background. I mean, with regards to these kind of things, I got a grant in 1997 for a project called The Mushroom Boy, which was about taking artificial life concepts into almost kind of an urban terrorism simulator. And having been awarded the grant, I went in. Uh, this was with the CSIRO, the Commonwealth Science and Industry Research Organisation in Australia. And it was for a relatively substantial grant. I can't remember the exact amount, but it was at least six months, if not a year's worth of quite reasonable salary. And I went in, having, having been awarded this prize, and they told me, even though this wasn't a condition of the contest or anything like that, that I would have to turn all intellectual property over to them as part of the prize. And I walked away immediately from that because, right. you know, that wasn't what I was interested
1: in doing. I understand. Well, you know, uh, Tom, I, I admire your resolve. Uh, I think a good model for A-Life Prizes would be the Wilson Leary Eighth Circuit Model of Consciousness. Um, We have sims now that have nailed the first one, but uh, not a lot that show social hierarchies and uh, territorial displays, which is uh, only circuit two of eight in this model. You could uh, set a goalpost there with a cash prize, then a third one for tool-using intelligence, and a fourth for uh, refined social intelligence and the formation of culture. Yeah I agree and I think what'll be interesting is having
0: Tom Ray on in a few weeks time because he's certainly very caught up in in that kind of thinking. I think I'm not sure where he'd put Tierra but similarly I mean this is this is Larry Yeager's background and hopefully some of the feedback that he'll be able to give when he calls in as well. I I agree entirely and I think that's a, that's an interesting eight step. Uh, kind of ted but i mean i would imagine that we're probably up to about three or four already with artificial life i mean that's demonstrably what larry is trying to do with
1: polyworld currently yeah exactly these are circuits of consciousness so it's pretty significant it seems to me we broached the ethics question that almost the instant we have a creature that can distinguish good from bad but uh i'm still trying not to worry about it as, as you know i've been working with critterding a lot lately It just released beta 10 Anyone who listens to this out of the archives or anything should go and get their copy at critterding.sourceforge.net because we want everyone to try it, as far as I know, and I would welcome uh, to be corrected. I think this is the first time that creatures with vision have been put in an A-life sim with physics, ever. So it's incredibly rich. Yeah, I think it's an interesting problem. I mean, uh,
0: Certainly the framstick stuff are creatures with some degree of simulated vision, maybe not to the level of critterding,
1: and I think well, well how else there is a camera piece in framsticks, I think they lack that, hmm, which uh which, as was pointed out to me, is probably the reason they require an equilibrium sensor, the mercury switch in framsticks that that could be why could possibly, but I mean that's also to do with stability and the fact that they
0: have kind of moving appendages as well. Yes, it's a good idea, so yeah, I mean, I think what you're describing here is just that we need a better, broader surveying of these artificial life uh, Projects and you're right. I mean, I think the, uh, you know, the the, the eight. Are they call the eight realms or the eight steps of consciousness or the this this metric could certainly it's, be an interesting the
1: eight circuit, eight circuits. That's right. Yeah, it goes all the way up, and I figure we can't have the uh, maybe the top. Maybe we can't have the eighth one in a machine. Unless you uh, have a port to the internet for them to find, and they can actually get on IRC and stuff, in, in an exterior universe, that would be very much like a circuit eight experience for one of these animals. So certainly, you can include that, and they would have the whole uh, panoply at that point.
0: Yeah, it was interesting doing
1: the surveying for
0: tonight's show because I contacted Larry and uh, Larry Yager and John Klein independently, and they both certainly had, had similar future visions with regards to. I guess the, the the seed that Bruce Dahmer put out with regards to the Evo well, grid,
1: faster yeah, than light alien radio is what manifests for uh, organisms with nervous systems in our world at these levels of consciousness at hefty doses of psilocybin, But please uh, go on. Yeah, so I mean, I I I agree with you that if there was
0: this kind of You see, I mean, I'm I'm, I'm averse to the term prize with regards to this, because I think what we've found is through a community, we've been able to at at least reach the the Fourth Circuit in some regard, certainly there's some debate associated with that. But I think you can actually get that far just with a community that has active discourse and seems to all be kind of irking their way towards some kind of goal. So, I mean, maybe... Either subconsciously or consciously, it would be interesting to have Tom Ray on because he, he writes with regards to this very issue, um, both with regards to um, kind of human neurochemistry and also simulated neurochemistry, you know, yeah. whether, whether this is the actual aspiration for all artificial life developers fundamentally. I mean, do you see us as a community actually reaching these goals without the need for a
1: prize, Eric? Well, it's hard to say. You know, I made a post, I think, to the singularity list today just reminding everyone because I've heard these big prices being bandied about lately for what AGI might cost. And I said it could be uh, produced by someone in his basement who makes a program that gluts itself on the Internet and starts to speak coherent sentences and uh, comprehend better than a human does, you know, as far it could uh, come out of nowhere as far as we know. I don't think uh, it's necessary to associate a cost that it It would cost us nothing then except for the... uh, unpaid hours of work the guy did on it it would be worth that certainly and I mean the
0: feedback that I've given recently with regards to all these developers I mean when, when Dick Gordon was here specifically was that you couldn't actually afford to pay all the artificial life developers that have contributed to the community so far I mean you just you couldn't raise that kind of money we have another call on the line and I believe it is Bruce Damer so let me just bring him in hello Bruce hello Tom oh Bruce Damer So we have Eric back on tonight's show. I got a lot of feedback, as you might expect, from the last Biota Live associated with the the discourse that William provided about the need for prizes. And I've had correspondence this week from Tom Ray, uh, John Klein, and Larry Yeager with regards to, in Tom Ray's case, what he's doing currently and appearing on a future Biota Live. But Larry and John, they all seem to echo the same thing, which... um, I, ironically, bends perfectly into your your other life associated with uh, with the Leary archive. Eric, do you want to do you want to discuss your idea of the prize and how it relates to the, the Timothy Leary's thinking?
1: The prize. Oh, well, yeah. the prize. well, I was thinking, um, I, I was thinking, and there are a few models really that I think apply to a life pretty interestingly, like Maslow's pyramid of needs. But I was thinking the Wilson Leary eight circuit of level Eighth circuit model of consciousness was the best way to uh, hinge hinge uh, goalposts on the development of artificial life, or at least a good way you could uh, have increasing cash prizes for a territorial displays at two and a uh, tool using intelligence at three and formation of culture at four. And then, uh, you know, if these things start to acquire hedonic states, fifth circuit functioning, then you can get a million dollars, something like that. What do you think, Bruce Damer? Well,
2: what was interesting, and it's something I neglected to bring up uh, on the last call, was. I went to see Richard Dawkins in 2001 in Oxford uh, with Stuart Gold, and Richard had been a speaker at Biota 2, so we were familiar. He was almost going to come to Digital Burgess, but they had a a last-minute cancellation. And I talked about uh, something we were calling the Alive Prize, and that was a little bit like this idea in that each year um, there would be in a sense, it would be a scoring system. It wouldn't necessarily be a cash prize at all. Uh, so each year there would be a, a group that would look at it's like a figure skating championship where you hold up signs saying 7.2 for style and 5.9 for execution. But you would have a group that would hold up their signs and say, you know, on the on the five classifications of of how well your your simulated ecosystem's doing, uh, we're giving you these. Uh, these little red stars or blue stars or gold stars or numbers. And it would be a very encouraging thing uh, to, to people building whole systems that try to do the,
1: the, the proto-life or
2: the, the, the A-life thing. And
1: no, absolutely. Bo- a series of goalposts is absolutely essential. I mean, even within, the, uh, even within one sim, if you could have uh, the graduated fitness functions based on goalposts, that would really move things. Yeah, well. exactly.
2: Exactly, and Professor Dawkins was very interested in that and was willing to uh, be a part of it uh, in some way. He said, "I he said I'm not sure. I would he said I would be very interested to help set the initial framework or what the goalposts are would be of the different types of goalposts. Maybe one of my graduate students or colleagues would be the ones that would be looking in every year if this was presented. So, in a way, it's it, it's prize of a different sort it's what you'd get in kindergarten for making progress uh not a cash thing and it's not a you know it's not something that goes that doesn't go awarded everyone gets a, a little star on the on the grid on the wall
1: well i mean that is why we could see some real uh real work appearing if there were some cash prizes but
0: I think the interesting the interesting point, which has come through this discussion, but also the correspondence that I've had over the past week, is that independent of a cash prize, you know, Larry on one side, crediting with regards to uh, what Eric is talking about. I mean, I think Polyworld, crediting, possibly things through NEAT, these kind of things have worked their way up to at least um, Leary's fourth circuit and possibly even into the hedonism fifth circuit i mean i think we're moving in the right direction through having a community discourse irrespective of there being a cash prize and maybe this is the point with regards to the grading that by discussing and i think you're central to this bruce through the evo grid because certainly the feedback that i got from larry and john independently was that they both want to create EvoGrid-like components for, for both Polyworld and Breve in the future. They see the network as being the next critical thing for their uh, respective simulations can, to kind of take on. So, I mean, maybe through this discourse, maybe through this kind of collective vision of what we're, what we're describing through things like Biosolite and through the various conferences, we are, in fact, doing better than a cash prize could ever do.
2: Yeah, I, I believe... If if in a sense, and this the original Evil Grid Broad, the idea was that everybody would be networked and, and critters and ecosystems would be flowing back and forth and things would start to interact like the Internet itself. And in a sense, it, it's wonderful that idea sort of caught fire in the community. I'm glad it did. And if we produce, the upshot of all this is that a number of us over time may produce networked things, either like EvoGrid Broad or EvoGrid Deep, which is the current chemical inspired single simulation EvoGrid. But if such network systems existed, then you could do the annual goal goalpost setting and, and scoring and, and gold star giving of uh, for those systems. Um, you know, in some sense, I mean the Linux community does this a little bit too you know, the Linux kernel group or the, the broader Linux community kind of gives awards for the best utilities. Uh, people who have come up and done on uh, on their own time, uh, they're they're awarded these these recognitions of contributing to the common platform.
0: So maybe maybe we are in fact doing the inaugural version of this award this evening because I mean the topic for this evening was really to explore and discuss existing open-source artificial life programs that were really critical, I mean, in, in terms of... Oh, I,
1: I was so excited, you know, that the Critterding Beta 10 hit within days of your show on Brevé and Polyworld, Tom, because it's very much a uh, spin-off of the Polyworld concept. I, I saw something approaching what uh, Critterding has sort of come past now called Achilles a while ago that had memory leaks and was out of development, and it looked like it could have been a next polyworld It turned out it wasn't going to be.
0: And I think what Larry Yeager is trying to do with Polyworld currently is is basically make it more compatible with a, with a wide variety of, of open source concepts. I mean, we'll, we'll get to Polyworld in a, in a few minutes, but Eric, as we have you on, and as you've been playing with critiquing probably what, for at least five betas, if not more, do you want to give some kind of general description to it, how it moves beyond Polyworld and what you see when it's finally released formally?
1: Yeah, well, you know, we've got, uh, I mean, the one thing we had in the start when it was very much a polyworld knockoff was the the two-dimensional retina. So these things were sensitive to the height of objects, and uh, those could be all different sizes. I I tried a few runs early on with really huge brains and small populations, so it would go at uh, reasonable speeds. I added wrapping at the edge of the world and uh, a secondary fitness function to rank these in a graveyard and reseed from them if the population went extinct. Uh, and in that way I hope to get more advanced behaviors from uh, larger brains you know but uh, ultimately now I run with the default settings now that we've added physics it really uh, changed everything and the brains spend a lot of time now learning how to move these bodies which there were discrete operations for before in the old sim we saw these brains get uh, used to the idea of moving towards food and sort of avoiding one another uh, in a big hurry on a fast machine you could see that in a day You really have to evolve for a while longer now. It's sort of a quest. Trying to get a lot of people on board, though, because it's also a lottery. Without a certain number of cycles per second, you're very much in the lottery with this kind of software, and uh, something could appear in half an hour that is mind-blowing, and on the other hand, you could wait for days. And in terms of what it actually
0: looks like, I mean, it's very much in the style of Polyworld in terms of it being, and correct me if I'm wrong, but fundamentally a two-dimensional world with... Kind of integrated blocked, com- blocky components. Is is there a 3D kind of undulating component to it or is it still all fundamentally 2D, Eric?
1: No, you're correct. There is an undulating component now, Tom. It, the third dimension has been sort of re added and they uh, have physics now with bullets, the food falls from the sky and might roll, um, roll a short distance. Uh, I just heard today maybe if it was round it would. Be faster. The creatures' bodies are segmented now. The pieces are attached to each other at various positions. And they have a set of mutation operations for that. A whole phenotype, uh, which can get up to a certain size. And in terms of the application
0: itself, I, I had to look at the. Like I had the look at the link. I, I wasn't sure whether. I mean, is it just Linux currently, or for Mac and Windows users, can they pick up versions as well? Can you describe the building process for people that want to get it running?
1: Yeah, it's just for Linux. It's really easy to compile. The author, Bob Key, he packaged a copy of Bullet, so you don't need to set up Bullet yourself, and uh, I'm pretty sure most people can just download the. Tarball for beta 10 from the uh, critterding.sourceforge.net page. And, uh, and has
0: anyone tried well. to run it through
1: um, X11 on Mac,
0: for example, in terms of the X Windows version for Mac and gotten the Mac version working? Have
1: you heard anything like that? No, I don't think anyone has. It's based on SDL now, so even going to Windows shouldn't be that hard.
0: Right, right.
1: No, I've I played with, uh,
0: with SDL in the past, so it's, um, it's relatively easy to port. But
1: yeah, I it's think... It's so open-ended. So open ended right now. I've been using fairly competitive settings for about a day, just trying to get a new species. But I've taken existing species some distance in this sim, and the brains the brains tend to get larger, and the uh, the behavior slowly improves. And in terms of Polyworld, uh, I mean, I, it's a pity
0: that Larry isn't on because certainly he's got a new fellow who's done a lot of porting. I think he has a, a motive version for uh, Linux that he's he's working with currently. When you ran PolyWorld, did you run it on Linux? Uh,
1: yeah, no, I haven't got PolyWorld to run. Okay. This be a good opportunity to speak to Larry Yeager. Excuse me about getting PolyWorld running because I've uh, never figured out how to compile it. My understanding is that there's a new fellow who's working on it, and
0: um, what, why don't we just get into the PolyWorld set of the discussion? That might make it easier. I'll scroll down to my PolyWorld notes. But uh, he has a new fellow who's working on it currently by the name of. Uh, Jordan someone Jordan Per who apparently um, has has changed all the the building options Larry's maintaining the Mac version but my understanding is uh, Jordan Per is now uh, changing it over to to Linux and and possibly even a Windows version I have played with it on the Mac quite a bit in fact I rewrote the Polyworld uh, neural network brains um, into Noble Ape, so the Noble Ape brains and the Polyworld brains could interact competitively and certainly my my experimentations with Polyworld was it was relatively easy to download and build for Mac, but I haven't tried it for other platforms. I think my main concern was the, um, well, actually there shouldn't be such a problem with Linux. The um OpenGL was relatively heavily intertwined uh with the actual, you know, uh, creature code and uh, related world code. But I don't think that should pose any problems for Linux. I, my, my understanding is that it should be relatively easy to run on Linux if there isn't already a, a Linux version available. Yeah. Uh, but Larry emailed me uh, quite a detailed list of things that were coming through Polyworld currently. He has uh, a couple of developers working on it pretty solidly and also at ECAL, which went on this week, the uh, European Conference of Artificial Life, there was a group that uh, displayed the first paper associated with Polyworld that was completely independent from Larry's work. They went in uh, and looked at uh, temporal changes in cluster coefficients and basically just a lot of these kind of cognitive metrics, um, which I had been discussing with Larry, I think pretty well from when he first appeared on bio to live. Um live So from that, they were able to pull out what he's calling the Brain Connectivity Toolbox, or BC. T, which you can get to brain-connectivity-toolbox.net, um, which is being moved to C++. I'm not sure whether it came from uh, Polyworld initially, but there's, there's some connection with Polyworld in terms of actually extracting uh, cognitive metrics, which really was one of the stuff that Larry and I discussed when he first appeared on, on Biota Live. There is a PHI measure of consciousness, which you can get to at consciousness.google. Code.com, Google Code being one word. And this builds on uh, Virgil Griffiths' work. And obviously, Larry and I discussed Virgil Griffiths quite heavily um, when he last appeared uh, on to Alive. But have you heard of the, um, the consciousness phi metric at all, Eric? No, I haven't heard of anything like that, Tom. So, I mean, this would be quite exciting if critodink could uh, link up with what Larry is doing currently in terms of being um, maybe a world competitor, or maybe, I mean, my interest with regards to getting Noble Ape cognitive simulation in kind of compare and contrast with Polyworld was actually to hybridize a, a better brain in the long run to have real metrics in terms of collection of food, in terms of survival, perhaps in terms of these kind of hedonism metrics that you were discussing. And Noble I think the Ape has brain visualization. Certainly. So I mean, I, my interest was, and this came through in nature inspired informatics. I wrote a chapter and talked quite a bit about the kind of metrics that could be used in a, in a competitive sense between all these um, uh, artificial intelligence in a simulated environment kind of uh, simulations which are, are fundamentally part of artificial life, so the excitement of having you know, two, three, four of these style simulations in not necessarily active competition, but certainly something that can be written about. Um, I mean, I'm not sure where Larry actually puts all this information. He he did it in an email to me uh, explicitly, but I'm not sure if it's collected anywhere specifically. So, uh, as you are obviously participating, Eric, you can go back through the recording afterwards and, and go to those specific sites and put the Credit Inc. folk in contact with Larry and, and get them. You know, get them in this kind of development metric as well in terms of uh, you know working
1: on on fire consciousness and this kind of stuff. Polyworld should have uh, should have a physics engine in there. You know, that's that's why critterding is so uh, futuristic.
0: Well, I think Larry is talking about that earlier in his uh, in his email. He talked about moving um, from some of the uh, you know standard blocks that were in Polyworld and ultimately, I think, translating surfaces is really critical
1: for something like PoliWorld, although scanning and through... the work of Carl Sims, you know? That's what's being uh, redone in Critterding right now from the ground up. Certainly. But for these complex survival tasks that Carl Sims didn't do, like his work didn't appear to be about. Yes, that's, Uh pretty uh, open-ended. We keep trying to think of things to add to this world now that it's actually 3D. The possibilities are just dimensionally expanded and it's difficult to pick a direction. or. Uh, in
0: terms of predator or, prey you know, and this kind of stuff. stuff, I yeah. mean, is, is that the next step with
1: Critodink or is there already pre- predator prey? No, there is predator prey. You've got uh, omnivores in there now. They can eat both kinds of food if you enable that. I think there's a flag whether or not one is an omnivore. And uh, then, yeah, you should see predator-prey dramas unfold. Just the other day, I saw two uh, two species existing at the same time in Critterdain, one with almost no body but a huge mouth that would be pushed around by the others. It uh-huh. <laughs> would exist in between them, and uh, they would bump it into food. It's kind of interesting uh, parasitism. But we've yet to see a predator-prey drama unfold. Obviously, that would be a good thing, a good thing to see. That would come with uh, territoriality and... Uh, or flocking behavior, recognizing one another, following. Certainly, certainly. So, I think what we've
0: described in this particular space is that there are, you know, there are emerging simulations. There are kind of legacy simulations that have aspired the uh, emerging simulations. Bruce, as you listen in, I mean, this obviously isn't the Evo group, but this must be very exciting in terms of your historical following of artificial life.
2: Yeah, the artificial life as we know was was born in the, for the most part, I mean, certainly a lot of the A-Life developers were on the net in the late 80s, early 90s, but it was born in a different time. Um, And it was, there was no time, there was no crowdsourcing, no large scale open source group things. And really the concept of the open source license uh, was just being formalized in those years. So come into the, you know, end of the first decade of the 21st century and tremendous ability to work together on projects and to have things, something like Polyworld or Carl Sims' Creatures or other things uh, come alive again, as they have in, in, in Brevi, of course, um, in, in an open source framework, in a crowdsourcing model, uh, in, in the YouTube way of sharing the visuals and, and promulgating the project. It's a, totally exciting because the original work, like Tierra and Terra, and all those things, deserve a second go-round with new tools and physics engines and networkability, and they they really deserve... There's nothing inherently... No good reason to reinvent good algorithms and good thinking uh, if one can take the originals and and, uh, beef them up.
0: And contemporary computing is pushing that so much further. I mean, obviously, you know, Carlson was using... You know, thinking machine style technology, which is now relatively trivial with e- with existing processes. And what interests me particularly with uh, uh, William R. Buckley and the use of Golly and the kind of emergence of cellular automata or the new renaissance of cellular automata and potentially chemical automata going into the future is that. All these things just have a huge computation injection which enables the kind of uh, emergent behavior that uh, Eric was describing. So, to talk more specifically about brevet, I contacted John Klein in the past couple of weeks um, Obviously John klein has a has a, a new baby, and um, his development time has has been reduced, but he's interested in in rewriting um, in terms of new features, new functionality. Uh, and also this amazing kind of uh, networkability discussion that we've had with regards to the EVO grid. And it's interesting thinking of a tool like Breve with the addition of kind of networkability. And also, I mean, I've advocated uh, folk using Breve uh, for things like critiquing in terms of moving them into something which is already existing and probably could benefit greatly from the kind of feedback and constructive use. But I mean, what you're describing, Eric, in terms of the processor cycles and the need for speed... Is critiquing really like is there a visualization component and then a processing component? Is it neatly divided or is it relatively intertwined in the
1: code that you've looked at? Yeah, I think it's uh I think it's handled by OpenGL, huh? I'm I'm pretty sure the uh physics in Breve are hand coded.
0: Yeah, I mean my understanding with regards to what John Klein tried to do with Breve was really initially he had a kind of grab bag of of ideas and very simple physics as a part of that. But certainly my discussions with him in the past couple of years, maybe first four years, actually relate to a far more kind of modular architecture associated with Brevet. And I think John is particularly receptive to people who want to come in and rewrite large sections of it or actually remove large sections and just use other aspects of Brevet. So, I mean, certainly my own experiences with John... I've been very positive in terms of him giving uh, very detailed uh, and very um, very timely feedback with regards to the use of Breve, And having experimented with the code somewhat myself, I would, I would encourage others to get involved, even if Breve is either a visualizer or maybe a component of the interface of Brevet is used in a, in a new simulation. I mean, John, whilst he doesn't have a lot of... Uh, active development time is certainly very receptive to giving to giving good and quick feedback. Great. And I think if they've written it in OpenGL already, I mean, they're already, you know, more than halfway there in terms of integration with something like Preve. Is there, a, with crediting is there a, like a scripting or a programming component that could be added? Is that something that they're thinking about
1: currently? Well, there's nothing like that now. Maybe some kind of a scripting language would be a good way to put a, a critter selector or an observer of some kind in there that chooses specimens to clone or save, because I keep thinking of what kind of processes could be responsible for something like that, and it seems to me you'd need all kinds of them working in a uh, combination. It would uh, have to be really intelligent. It might be better to just let people write their own, uh, you know, an array with the critters in it, and they can go through and look at the statistics for each critter or the overall world statistics and respond to those with a lua or a rex
0: or something certainly and i mean i have to give a shout out to dave kerr and ai planet as well here because dave early on really found that you know if you if you couldn't build better creatures faster the easiest way was to actually create an interface that encouraged other people to create creatures i was thinking about this recently he had kind of tiger-like creatures duck-like creatures salmon-like creatures shark-like creatures all contributed by users relatively early on and i think this. This is really the um, the idea of breve as well in terms of actually having a, a relatively open architecture that allows people who have particular interests to write code into the environment. So for some things, it doesn't work. For some artificial life simulations, it doesn't work. But certainly when you know, when I was first pitched doing a, a scripting language for Noble Ape, it took me a, a couple of iterations to get my head around it, but it certainly enabled a, a new group of users to get involved. So... I mean, if I could give any feedback to the critting creators, maybe some some kind of interactability. I mean, they already seem to have uh, you know a user base that would be relatively receptive to that kind of thing, by the sounds of it. I
1: mean. Yeah, well, it's, it's definitely a good idea if you, if you can if you can get that kind of functionality in there. Um, something where it it uh, just has a callback in this script every time it changes frames or every time it births a critter, something like that and you could just specify it on the command line. The script is running in the background.
0: The guy in the IRC,
1: he's in the chat today as well, SEH. He said we should have a sort of a Quake console in there.